0: Yo, You are listening to another minisode of the Casa Bonita podcast. Okay, you guys, so it is the week of the 2020 election, and just uh, two short hours ago, Biden and Kamala Harris got on stage and said thank you to all their voters for voting them into office. So it's been kind of a crazy week. Anyone who's been alive at this time is aware of that. And I took a week off of publishing. So I wanted to ease back in with a mini-sode this weekend that's a little different from what I've been experimenting with on my mini-sodes. So are you aware that there are a shitload of books that are public domain and they're available on gutenberg.org. You can download them, you can use them, you can do inter- you can do artistic interpretations of them. Uh, it's public domain. Nobody owns that intellectual property. And I think that's so cool. So this week, I thought it would be fun to read a chapter from one of the books on gutenberg.org. And so an acknowledgement of the Black Lives Movement. I thought it would be cool to read *12 Years a Slave*. I, full disclosure, I am not a professional uh, voice actor. I am not a librarian. I haven't even read this book or seen the movie, <laughs> so I am sure that you can find a better version out there of this book. But I thought this would be a cool way for folks to dip their toes into gutenberg.org, as well as the book 12 Years a Slave. So here we go. Oh, real quick, I just want to make a couple more acknowledgements. On these minisodes, I don't put as much time into editing. And my goal for this one is just to get something out there and just like, see, you know, if people like it and see what happens. So I am not putting a lot of effort into making it super pretty in terms of editing. And you'll notice my pronunciation of some places are like off and there might be some weird pauses and some throat clearing. And just keep in mind that this whole project is just my little passion project. It's not my career. Wouldn't it be nice if it were? Um, and little fun fact for all you audio nerds out there. If you put a track put down a track of music behind your speaking it makes all of those little weird noises that you make when you talk and like your breathing and stuff like that less noticeable so on that note 12 years a slave narrative of solomon Northrop, a citizen of new york kidnapped in washington city in 1841 and rescued in 1853 from a cotton plantation near the Red River in Louisiana. Published in 1853, to Harriet Beecher Stowe, whose name throughout the world is identified with the Great Reform. This narrative affording another key to Uncle Tom's cabin is respectfully dedicated. Such dupes are men to custom, and so prone to reverence what is ancient, and can plead a course of long observance for its use, that even servitude, the worst of ills, because delivered down from sire to son, is kept and guarded as a sacred thing. But is it a fit, or can it bear the shock of rational discussion that a man compounded and made up, like other men, of elements tumultuous, in whom lust and folly in as ample measure meet, and in the bosom of the slave he rules, should be a despot absolute, and boast himself the only free man of his land. Cowper Chapter 1 Oh no, editor's preface. When the editor commenced the preparation of the following narrative, he did not suppose it would reach the size of this volume. In order, however, to present all the facts which have been communicated to him, it has seemed necessary to extend it to its present length. Many of the statements contained in the following pages are corroborated by abundant evidence. Others rest entirely upon Solomon's assertion. That he has adhered strictly to the truth, the editor at least, who has had an opportunity of detecting any contradiction or discrepancy in his statements, is well satisfied. He has invariably repeated the same story without deviating in the slightest particular, and has also carefully perused the manuscript, dictating an alteration wherever the most trivial inaccuracy has appeared. It was Solomon's fortune during his captivity to be owned by several masters. The treatment he received while at the pine woods shows that among slaveholders, there are men of humanity as well as of cruelty. Some of them are spoken of with emotions of gratitude, others in a spirit of bitterness. It is believed that the following account of his experience on Bayou Boeuf, I don't know if I pronounced that right, presents a correct picture of slavery in all its lights and shadows as it now exists in that locality. Unbiased as he conceives by any prepossessions or prejudices, the only object of the editor has been to give a faithful history of Solomon Northrop's life as he received it from his lips. In the accomplishment of that object, he trusts he has succeeded, notwithstanding the numerous faults of style and of expression it may be found to contain. David Wilson, Whitehall, New York, May 1853. Okay. Narrative of Solomon Northrup, Chapter 1. Introductory, Ancestry, the Northrup Family, Birth and Parentage, Mentis Northrup, Marriage with Anne Hampton, Good Resolutions, Champlain Canal, Rafting Excursion to Canada, Farming, the Violin, Cooking, Removal to Saratoga, Parker and Perry, Slaves and Slavery, the children, the beginning of sorrow. Having been born a free man, and for more than thirty years enjoyed the blessings of liberty in a free state, and having at the end of that time been kidnapped and sold into slavery where I remained until happily rescued in the month of January, 1853, after a bondage of twelve years, it has been suggested that an account of my life and fortunes would not be uninteresting to the public. Since my return to liberty, I have not failed to perceive the increasing interest throughout the northern states in regard to the subject of slavery. Works of fiction professing to portray its features in their more pleasing as well as more repugnant aspects have been circulated to an extent unprecedented and, as I understand, have created a fruitful topic of comment and discussion. I can speak of slavery only so far as it came under my own observation only so far as I have known and experienced it in my own person. My object is to give a candid and truthful statement of facts, to repeat the story of my life without exaggeration, leaving it for others to determine whether even the pages of fiction present a picture of more cruel wrong or a severe bondage. As far back as I have been able to ascertain, my ancestors on the paternal side were slaves in Rhode Island. They belonged to a family by the name of Northrop. one of whom, removing to the state of New York, settled at Hoosick in Rensselaer County. He brought with him Mintus Northrop, my father. On the death of this gentleman, which must have occurred some fifty years ago, my father became free, having been emancipated by a direction in his will. <clears throat> Henry B. Northrup, Esquire of Sandy Hill, a distinguished counselor at law, and the man to whom, under Providence, I am indebted for my present liberty, and my return to the society of my wife and children, is a relative of the family in which my forefathers were thus held to service, and from which they took the name I bear. To this fact may be attributed the persevering interest he has taken in my behalf." Sometime after my father's liberation, he removed to the town of Minerva Essex County, New York, where I was born in the month of July, 1808. How long he remained in the latter place, I have not the means of definitely ascertaining. From thence, he removed to Granville, Washington County, near a place known as Slyboro, where for some years he labored on the farm of Clark Northrop, also a relative of his old master. From thence, he removed to the Alden Farm at Moss Street, a short distance north of the village of Sandy Hill, and from thence to the farm now owned by Russell Pratt, situated on the road leading from Fort Edward to Argyle, where he continued to reside until his death, which took place on the 22nd day of November, 1829. He left a widow and two children, myself and Joseph, an elder brother, The latter is still living in the county of Oswego, near the city of that name. My mother died during the period of my captivity. Though born a slave, and laboring under the disadvantages to which my unfortunate race is subjected, my father was a man respected for his industry and integrity, as many now living who well remember him are ready to testify. His whole life was passed in the peaceful pursuits of agriculture never seeking employment in those menial positions, which seem to be especially allotted to the children of Africa. Besides giving us an education surpassing that ordinarily bestowed upon children in our condition, he acquired, by his diligence and economy, a sufficient property qualification to entitle him to the right of suffrage. He was accustomed to speak to us of his early life, and although at times cherishing the warmest emotions of kindness, and even of affection towards the family in whose house he had been a bondsman, he nevertheless comprehended the system of slavery and dwelt with sorrow on the degradation of his race. He endeavored to imbue our minds with sentiments of morality, and to teach us to place our trust and confidence in him who regards the humblest as well as the highest of his creatures. How often since that time has the recollection of his paternal counsels occurred to me while lying in a slave hut in the distant and sickly regions of Louisiana, smarting with the undeserved wounds which an inhuman master had inflicted and longing only for the grave which had covered him to shield me also from the lash of the oppressor. In the churchyard at Sandy Hill, an an humble stone marks the spot where he reposes after having worthily performed the duties appertaining to the lowly sphere wherein god had appointed him to walk up to this period i had been principally engaged with my father in the labors of the farm the leisure hours allowed me were generally either employed over my books or playing on the violin an amusement which was ru- an amusement which was the ruling passion of my youth it has also been the source of consolation since affording pleasure to the simple beings with whom my lot was cast, and beguiling my own thoughts for many hours from the painful contemplation of my fate. On Christmas Day, 1829, I was married to Anne Hampton, a colored girl then living in the vicinity of our residence. The ceremony was performed at Fort Edward by Timothy Eddy, Esquire, a magistrate of that town, and still a prominent citizen of the place. She had resided a long time at Sandy Hill with Mr. Baird, proprietor of the Eagle Tavern, and also in the family of Reverend Alexander Proudfit of Salem. This gentleman, for many years, had presided over the Presbyterian society at the latter place and was widely distinguished for his learning and piety. Anne still holds in grateful remembrance the exceeding kindness and excellent counsels of that good man. She is not able to determine the exact line of her descent, but the blood of three races mingles in her veins. It is difficult to tell whether the red, white, or black predominates. The union of them, however, in her origin, has given her a singular but pleasing expression, such as is rarely to be seen. Though somewhat resembling, yet she cannot properly be styled a quadroon, a class to which I have omitted to mention, my mother belonged. I had just now passed the period of my minority, having reached the age of 21 years in the month of July previous. Deprived of the advice and assistance of my father, with a wife dependent upon me for support, I resolved to enter upon a life of industry, and notwithstanding the obstacle of color and the consciousness of my lowly state, indulged in pleasant dreams of a good time coming, when the possession of some, some humble habitation with a few surrounding acres should reward my labors and bring me the means of happiness and comfort. From the time of my marriage to this day, the love I have borne my wife has been sincere and unabated, and only those who have felt the glowing tenderness a father cherishes for his offspring can appreciate my affection for the beloved children which have since been born to us. This much I deem appropriate and necessary to say, in order that those who read these pages may comprehend the poignancy of those sufferings I have been doomed to bear. Immediately upon our marriage, we commenced housekeeping, in the old yellow building, then standing at the southern extremity of Fort Fort Edward village, and which has since been transformed into a modern mansion and lately occupied by Captain Lathrop. It is known as the Fort House, in this building, the courts were some time held after the organization of the county. It was also occupied by Burgoyne in 1777, being situated near the old fort on the left bank of the Hudson. During the winter, I was employed with others repairing the Champlain Canal on that section over which William Van Norwick was superintendent. David McEachran had the immediate charge of the men in whose company I labored. By the time the canal opened in the spring, I was enabled, from the savings of my wages, to purchase a pair of horses and other things necessarily required in the business of navigation. Having hired several efficient hands to assist me, I entered into contracts for the transportation of large rafts of timber from Lake Champlain to Troy. Dyer Beckwith and Mr. Bartamy of Whitehall accompanied me on several trips. During the season, I became perfectly familiar with the art and mysteries of rafting, a knowledge which afterwards enabled me to render profitable service to a worthy master and to astonish the simple-witted lumbermen on the banks of the Bayou Boeuf. In one of my voyages down Lake Champlain, I was induced to make a visit to Canada. Repairing to Montreal, I visited the cathedral and other places of interest in that city from whence I continued my excursion to Kingston and other towns, obtaining a knowledge of localities, which was also of service to me afterwards, as will appear towards the close of this narrative. Having completed my contracts on the canal satisfactorily, to myself and to my employer, and not wishing to remain idle now that the navigation of the canal was again suspended— I entered into another contract with Madad Gunn c- to cut a large quantity of wood. In this business, I was engaged during the winter of 1831 to 32. With the return of spring, Anne and myself conceived the project of taking a farm in the neighborhood. I had been accustomed from earliest youth to agricultural labors, and it was an occupation congenial to my tastes. I accordingly entered into arrangements for a part of the old Alden farm on which my father formerly resided. With one cow, one swine, a yoke of fine oxen I had lately purchased of Lewis Brown in Hartford, and other personal property and effects, we proceeded to our new home in Kingsbury. That year I planted 25 acres of corn, sowed large fields of oats, and commenced farming upon as large a scale as my utmost means would permit. Anne was diligent about the house affairs while I toiled laboriously in the field. On this place, we continued to reside until 1834. In the winter season, I had numerous calls to play on the violin. Wherever the young people assembled to dance, I was almost invariably there. Throughout the surrounding villages, My fiddle was notorious. Anne also, during her long residence at the Eagle Tavern, had become somewhat famous as a cook. During court weeks and on public occasions, she was employed at high wages in the kitchen at Cheryl's Coffee House. We always returned home from the performance of these services with money in our pockets so that, with fiddling, cooking, and farming, we soon found ourselves in the possession of abundance and, in fact, leading a happy and prosperous life. Well, indeed, would it have been for us had we remained on the farm at Kingsbury. But the time came when the next step was to be taken towards the cruel destiny that awaited me. In March 1834, we removed to Saratoga Springs. We occupied a house belonging to Daniel O'Brien on the north side of Washington Street. At that time, Isaac Taylor kept a large boarding house known as Washington Hall at the north end of Broadway. He employed me to drive a hack, in which capacity I worked for him for two years. After this time, I was generally employed through the visiting season, as also was Anne in the United States Hotel and other public houses of the place. In winter seasons, I relied upon my violin, though during the construction of the Troy and Saratoga Railroad, I performed many hard days' labor upon it. I was in the habit at Saratoga of purchasing articles necessary for my family at the stores of Mr. Cephas Parker and Mr. William Perry, gentlemen towards whom, for many acts of kindness, I entertained feelings of strong regard. It was for this reason that twelve years afterwards I caused to be directed to them the letter, which is hereinafter inserted, and which was the means, in the hands of Mr. Northrup, of my fortunate deliverance. While living at the United States Hotel, I frequently met with slaves who had accompanied their masters from the South. They were always well-dressed and well-provided for, leading apparently an easy life, with but few of its ordinary troubles to perplex them. Many times they entered into conversation with me on the subject of slavery. Almost uniformly, I found they cherished a secret desire for liberty. Some of them expressed the most ardent anxiety to escape and consulted me on the best method of effecting it. The fear of punishment, however, which they knew was certain to attend their recapture and return, in all cases proved sufficient to deter them from the experiment. Having all my life breathed the free air of the North and conscious that I possessed the same feelings and affections that find a place in the white man's breast, conscious, moreover, of an intelligence equal to that of some men, at least, with a fairer skin. I was too ignorant, perhaps too independent, to conceive how anyone could be content to live in the abject condition of a slave. I could not comprehend the justice of that law or that religion, which upholds or recognizes the principle of slavery and never once am I proud to say, did I fail to counsel anyone who came to me to watch his opportunity and strike for freedom. I continued to reside at Saratoga until the spring of 1841. The flattering anticipations which seven years before had seduced us from the quiet farmhouse on the east side of the Hudson had not been realized. Though always in comfortable circumstances, we had not prospered. The society and associations at the world-renowned watering place were not calculated to preserve the simple habits of industry and economy to which i had been accustomed but on the contrary to substitute others in their stead tending to shiftlessness and extravagance at this time we were the parents of three children elizabeth margaret and alonzo elizabeth the eldest was in her 10th year Margaret was two years younger, and little Alonzo had just passed his fifth birthday. They filled our house with gladness. Their young, their young voices were music in our ears. Many an airy castle did their mother and myself build for the little innocents. When not at labor, I was always walking with them, clad in their best attire, through the streets and groves of Saratoga. Their presence was my delight, and I clasped them to my bosom with as warm and tender love as if their clouded skins had been as white as snow. Thus far, the history of my life presents nothing whatever unusual, nothing but the common hopes and loves and labors of an obscure colored man making his humble progress in the world. But now I had reached a turning point in my existence, reached the threshold of unutterable wrong and sorrow and despair. Now had I approached within the shadow of the cloud into the thick darkness whereof I was soon to disappear, thenceforward to be hidden from the eyes of all my kindred and shut out from the sweet light of liberty for many a weary year. That concludes chapter one of Twelve Years a Slave. I don't know if I will continue recording the chapters and releasing them. Uh, My initial intent was just to put this out there and point people towards Gutenberg.org and get a little introduction to this book. If you'd like to read it, just go to Gutenberg.org and you can download the entire book for free. And... Um, If you have any interest in recording subsequent chapters for release on the podcast, or if you would like assistance in putting together your own podcast based on this book, I'd be happy to share my amateurish podcasting knowledge with you. (laughs) Feel free to reach out. Anyway, thank you so much for listening today and... I'm really happy that Trump is no longer going to be our president. So if you couldn't already tell from listening to the show, you know, I'm not trying to hide my politics. (laughs) Anyway, thank you again for listening. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me this week on the Casa Bonita podcast. If you liked this show, you might like working with me and my colleagues at Bluebird Real Estate Group a top ranked, totally independent, locally owned boutique real estate brokerage serving the greater Denver and Boulder areas. We always love talking shop, especially if you're thinking about buying or selling a home yourself. You can find us online at bluebirddenver.com or call our office at 720-989-1362. Need help finding a great agent to work with somewhere else? drop us a line. We'll interview agents for you and even negotiate a contribution towards your closing costs. We look forward to hearing from you. This episode was recorded and edited by me. Music is by Diala. You can follow the Casa Bonita podcast on Facebook by the same name and on Twitter and Instagram handle at Casa Bonita pod. Be sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes when they're available. And if you really want to give this show a boost, give us a positive review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Thanks. You're awesome.